0: Welcome to Friday's Child The Podcast, formerly known as Life School ME. When I started Life School back in June 2019, my vision for where I wanted to take the podcast and how it would grow was not 100% clear. I knew I wanted to interview inspiring women and share their stories, but there was no grand plan. And that's okay, I'm a firm believer in starting before you're ready. But after falling pregnant with my beautiful daughter Mavia and deciding to focus on the world of bumps and babies for series two, I discovered a new passion for all things related to pregnancy and birth. The things I learnt about the female body and birth during my pregnancy journey have changed me forever and ignited a newfound passion and love for this subject matter. So Life School has been reborn as Friday's child and during this series I will be talking to first-time mums, childbirth educators and industry experts on all things motherhood. Whether you're newly pregnant, a first-time mum, or maybe you just want to find out more about the world of babies and motherhood, I hope you enjoy listening to my wonderful guests and that hopefully you can take away some helpful information and insights. Now let's get on with the show. Today, I am very excited to welcome to the podcast the author of the best-selling book, The Sensational Baby Sleep Plan, and infant sleep and reflux expert, Alison Scott Wright, AKA The Magic Sleep Fairy it was such an honor to speak to Alison, who was currently in the middle of writing her next book, The Sensational Toddler Sleep Plan. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with the wonderful Magic Sleep Fairy. Enjoy! Alison, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me. I mean, I'm I'm honored to uh, be asked to join and uh, yeah, just let's Chat through some stuff and see what uh, we can put out there to help other people.
0: Well, I'm honoured to have you because so many of my new mummy friends swear by your book. So when when they found out you were coming on the podcast, they were like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" So thank you so much. Um, So let's delve straight in. So can you start by telling us your journey to becoming the Magic Sleep Fairy?
1: (laughs) Well, it's really quite quite strange um i certainly never set out to be a fairy of any sort um <laughs> i wouldn't fit into any t- kind of tutu so it really <laughs> i don't i don't have ballet legs in any way shape or
0: form you so, need the me. Um, <laughs> I, I i've
1: got some wings though there, that's another story i do have a set of wings but um, <laughs> that, yeah that was on, on the request of a toddler but anyway um literally i'd been sort of in just general auxiliary care nursing and i was looking after uh, the elderly and i was working locally where i lived down in dorset um and i had started work at pool hospital and i got to know a lady there just by chance we bumped into each other in the corridor one day and she was uh pregnant with twins and she was going to have twin girls and just for whatever my own circumstances I decided we, we we became friends and she offered me a job for a year as a mother's help looking after her twins I it wasn't even I didn't even understand or know the word maternity nurse had no clue what that meant and she lived locally to me and and I worked for her for a year and and helped her with the twins and sometimes I sort of stayed overnight. I mean, my children were young at the time. So I was always, I was a working mum. So I know how tough that is. Um, and it just evolved from there, really. Everything that I've, I've done started from that one job because what I advised her to do, I'd done with my own children. And by nine weeks old, the twins were sleeping 12 hours through the night, which I thought was fairly normal. <clears throat> but, but obviously it's not apparently now
0: (laughs) you say that's what you you say that's what you were doing with your children Alison. was that purely just based on your instincts as a mother or were you following any sort of sleep training
1: no I I haven't read I never I'll be completely honest I never read any books uh, I just loved being pregnant. I was pregnant when I was twenty-one. Well, I was pregnant when I was twenty. I was twenty-one when I had my my first child, my son, who's now thirty-five. That gives away the game of how old I am, but I don't care. Um, I no, I had never read anything. I I just I it it really just felt, and I it does for some people. It just came naturally to me. I wasn't phased mm. by it, but also I think being younger made made a difference. And, and I'd had such strong parenting from my mum, not, not tough parenting, but I, I was very set in what I was going to do. And we'd always had a bedtime and we'd always, <laughs> you know, been made to sleep or talk to sleep or whatever. And if ever me and my sister who shared a room, Next, next to Mum's room. If ever we woke up early and woke her up, she would be quite cross. (laughs) Now, I'm not suggesting that you know there is any (laughs) essence of being cross with children these days. That ethos of parenting has changed, thankfully. Mm. But, but that sense of having a routine, having a structure, children always going to bed, just stayed with me from my own parenting, my my mother parenting me, and and I, I instilled it in my parenting, and sure enough. I, I always did a bath and bedtime nobody told me I never read a book it just it's what I did because it's what had happened to me
0: and so after you had been looking after these twins did something just sort of click with you and you thought oh hang on I love doing this I could maybe I could maybe help a lot more mums or was it just more sort of organic than that
1: it was it was a bit of both to be honest um, I had worked a lot with elderly people, I'd worked in old people's homes, and and I had absolutely adored looking after them in their twilight years, Uh, and I'd had some great fun, but when I started working with with these twin girls, I thought, actually, this is really, this is what I want to do. Babies, in a way, they're they're quite similar, (laughs) the the ends of the spectrum can be quite Mm -hmm. similar, um but the babies i just i thought it was just mine that i absolutely adored but it i it turned out to not be just my babies it's it was every baby that i ever came in contact with and i'll tell you one reason i think for why is because they fascinate me babies absolutely fascinate me because i know they understand and and are aware of far more than we will ever, ever know. They don't have a conscious memory that stays with them of what happens in that first year or so, but that first year or so of their life is the most formative Mm. and sets them up for how they're going to emotionally respond and things. And and I know that everything that happens to them has an effect on them. And I've, I've walked into thousands upon thousands of houses over the over the last 25 years of my job now and and i see you know so many different environments different cultures different religions different auras different and it's fascinating it never ceases to amaze me how the children will still manage to thrive thankfully Mm. uh, on the whole but they will be they will be molded by what they're growing
0: Yeah, I always think that how much of who we are is just inherently how we were born versus our environment, the Mm. influences we have. I am also so fascinated by that. I just find it incredible. Um, And you must have seen, as you said, so many different environments Um, and they're all their own little people as well. Um, Completely.
1: Yeah it's very interesting actually uh, because uh, what I'm writing in my in my new book uh, which is the sequel to the sensational baby sleep plan which is the sensational toddler sleep plan um, I'm writing I actually two days ago started writing the piece about this and the effect that the environment has on toddlers because because of course most people don't envisaged that the environment has any effect on babies but it it actually does and it's been proven and it's through something called epigenetics and it's it's how the experiences that we have in 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 our very young years if they are negative or positive they will they they create an imprint on our on our genes Mm. so back in the day it was sort of thought our dna is exactly that and it's set and our genes are exactly that but our genes so our DNA is set, but our genes can be influenced by our experiences. And it's been proven through lots of research over the last 20, 30 years that the experiences we have will leave imprints on the genes that, that change a chemical balance in them so that it, it, it does make us respond in different ways. So... That that is truly epigenetics, and you know, th- th- there's loads of different research and, and papers and theories about it out there. But I absolutely know the essence of that is is true. And so, yeah. the nature of earth is nurture; is it's both.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. And when I was pregnant, I I was so focused on making sure that my little girl came into the world in a positive way. So. I even, I, from, from day one, well, from when she was inside me, I was trying to be really positive and that environment was good. But then with my birth, I was so focused on making sure, and that didn't mean having a natural birth. I just wanted it to be so positive so that she could come out surrounded by positivity. I could feel positive. And yeah, I, I really feel that sort of in my bones. I just, I don't know all the science behind it, but it's just one of those feelings <laughs> where you're like, I, yeah. I want yeah. her to feel secure and, and positive from day one. Um, okay, let's debunk some sleeping myths. So what are your <laughs> most common misconceptions and misunderstandings about infant sleep when you're with your clients? So what are the things that you face time and time again um, that we as mums and new mums just really don't understand about sleep.
1: Okay, so one of the main things is that you need to keep your baby more awake during the day if you want them to sleep at night. The
0: I've heard that opposite, one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the <laughs> complete opposite will actually occur because sleep breeds sleep as I write many times in my book.
0: Yes, I've started saying <laughs> um, this now. I've started saying this to yeah, people. I love that that sleep, phrase yeah. of yours,
1: yeah. Um and you know the ethos that you know don't let them sleep after four o'clock only let them have a 45 minute nap in the morning so they'll have a longer lunchtime nap do you know no you you actually need to understand the biological rhythms of night and day and how sleep evolves within within our systems and certainly as young babies and you know that as i say that ethos of 45 minute nap in the morning so they'll sleep longer after lunch well in the early weeks certainly the early months the first nap of the day is nearly always the best even if they've slept 12 hours at night within an hour and a half you know a four month old baby who slept 12 hours at night and many of my clients would attest to this i can attest an hour and a half yeah an hour and a half later, need to go back to bed, and they'll sleep for two hours. They might then only do an hour after lunch, but do you know what? That will evolve, and that early morning, that that first morning sleep will will eventually become the after lunch, you know, sleep. So, so that's one of the one big thing is is just you need to understand the natural rhythms and let them evolve more than trying to instigate something that is unnatural. Um, sleep regressions, that's huge. This is, I mean, this is just. Oh, sleep regressions. Where on earth did they ever come from?
0: So, are you saying sleep regression? This isn't. This is not a thing. No,
1: it's not. Th- it's absolutely sleep regression is is not a thing. It never was, and still
0: isn't. Okay, this this is it's- music to my ears. Is because I felt. <laughs> quite nervous about the four month sleep regression. Cause this is yeah. the first major one that everyone talks about. And as my little girl hit four months, I thought, Oh my God, this, something's going to happen. And my mom was like, well, Peter, I've never heard of this. Is When did this happen? There was nothing yeah, like this exactly. in my day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, they didn't, they didn't exist. And, and I've just been writing about them again over the last day or so in, in, in my new book, because sleep regressions, apparently you can make children will have one at 24 months. And of course, my, my new book is about you know slightly older babies and, 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 uh, and toddlers and children, but they don't have natural sleep regressions. There is nearly always a reason why their sleep will suddenly become disturbed. And I've literally just written this, that I think giving these periods of time where there is a disturbance to sleep, it excuses us and, and creates almost an avoidance in parenting to just go, oh, well, it's, it's a four-month sleep regression. Oh it's, oh, it's a two-year sleep regression. Well, they'll probably just grow out of it. And then, of course, baby doesn't or child doesn't grow out of it. And so you've then got a real problem because you've then got habits that have been set and stay for a lot longer. Whereas if you'd actually perhaps looked at why suddenly this sleep was was regressing or Mm. there were problems or the let's say a a two-year-old suddenly didn't want to go to bed and didn't want to go in his cot maybe it's because he actually needs to go into a bed it's nothing to do with the fact that it's a sleep regression you know it's there are developmental changes that occur but I just don't like excusing it as it's just a sleep regression so it's Mm. expected
0: it sort of reminded me a little bit of childbirth there's so much fear around the conversation and then you have your baby and then the next thing is the breastfeeding and then the next thing seems to be these sleep regressions, and the conversation just seems to be filled with negativity and fear and then you're sort of like in this state of anxiety because you're sort of waiting for something bad to happen which I'm sure your child then can pick up on and Yeah, totally. And then you almost feel guilty if your your child is actually sleeping quite well because you're like, well, everyone else around me seems to be having a nightmare. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, I think it's well, I guess it just comes back to like many things. We're just not educated enough, are we? And we just go on what but, our friends of friends have said.
1: But but it, it's it's interesting that, that the these sleep regressions have become labels, as have I know most mums will have the book called the wonder weeks
0: yeah there's an app that everybody downloads yeah Yeah.
1: and and there are some huge positives of that app i'm not going to knock it however a leap along with a sleep regression again is something to excuse for your child or baby's behavior and i'm sorry i and they i i they state they literally state that every child will have a leap at the same time of course they don't yeah i mean that's sorry to me that's ludicrous of course they don't we were just talking about how the environment will have an effect on the baby's development so you know we don't know whether that baby's been slightly premature slightly late you know i mean whether the baby's had some issues with reflux whether it was ill to start there there are so many things that will Mm. have an effect on how that baby develops, as to when it will reach its developmental milestones and and when it will have these supposed leaps. Of course, they don't all have them at the same time. And then, of course, there's the stress of, well, my baby should be doing this, but it's actually not. So, oh my goodness, what's happening? You know, everything, as you alluded to just now, everything seems to just put pressure and stress on mums. If you, you know, you're... Or your baby's in a leap, and then it's going to hit a regress, sleep regression. And, you know, it's just, it's not, a yeah. t- it's, it's crazy. I just find it so, so sad for mums out there today. And then, of course, you've got to follow all the guidelines that really, some of them are great. I know, but, you know, and I know why they're there, but a lot of them then don't really help. And there, there isn't the, there isn't the support behind them to to to, to you know, to help mums out there. You know, back in the day when I had my son, I spent ten days in hospital, not because I was ill, but that was because it was the norm. Yeah. And by the time I left, I by the time I left hospital, I knew how to breastfeed. My son was breastfeeding; he'd regained his birth weight, and you know, it was
0: great. Yeah, I think. I mean, particularly in this part of the world, we don't have the sort of postnatal care. It is there, but you have to arrange it. It's all private, so. Mm. You know, whereas in the UK, you would, your midwife would then come and visit you afterwards at home and there is that sort of support here. You really have to make sure it's in place because nobody's going to do it for you. Um, so then unfortunately, sometimes you are just left to your own devices. And, you know, in the, one way, it's lovely that we have all these Facebook communities and, you know, the internet. But in another, that can then you can go down a very sort of scary rabbit hole with that as well.
1: Yeah. The the interesting thing, though, is that, of course, in this last year, through COVID and lockdown, and I've been talking to so many parents, look, the the, the lack of support and empathy and understanding of postnatal care and newborn baby care was shocking before, in my opinion. Mm. It's been even worse, obviously, in this last year, and there are... mums that i speak to that haven't seen anyone they literally haven't seen anyone they had the baby they went home from hospital and they've never seen a midwife or a health visitor they haven't seen anyone so you know it's it's even it, it's even more shocking than it was before
0: yeah i mean that is just awful just yeah. terrible and so have you been doing a lot of your um consulting obviously via zoom and online um you know during this crazy year is that how you've been well, able to keep up with your clients and help mums oh I'll,
1: I'll be completely honest with you for through throughout the first lockdown in in england that started in i think march i was actually on a home visit with a client when lockdown came into play and i said well, what am i going to do i don't really know i had to make my own decision and i spoke to obviously we sort of knew it was coming but I, I i was with these clients and i actually knew them they were it was the second baby that i'd gone to see them with so um i i stayed i then had other people that i was going to see that had a three week old and they were absolutely desperate to see me and of course they messaged and are you going to come i said well Look, I've been in this household. They've all been isolating. I, have you been isolating? Yes. Well, then, I, you know, we just had to agree. I, and, yeah. and I ended up still actually busier in lockdown than I ever was before.
0: Well, if they felt comfortable so, and, I, and you that wasn't felt just safe. Own
1: visits. Yeah, I absolutely. I I did everything, and there were some people that I said, "I'm sorry, I can't visit," because they had lots of other people coming in and out of their house, and I didn't feel that that was the, that was right. But I I then would go and see someone and go home and sort of stay five seven days at home, and then go and see someone else. But but it's yeah, I I just I just got busier and busier and busier. I think the the, the, sh- the shock of of life changing so dramatically mm. for people. And, I mean, as I say, there was a lack of support before, but, sure, there was, there was a far greater lack in this last year. And it's it's had a huge effect on the mental health of, of, of mums.
0: Oh, completely. I mean, people have missed and dads. out on... And dads. yeah. And people have missed out on those sort of big milestones, you know, baby showers and um, their family meeting their baby, yeah. and having a girlfriend to pop round with a casserole or just for a cup of tea and, you know... yeah those little things as well are really big things when you're a new mom and all you are is just stuck at home with your baby. Like those things become really big. And I just, yeah, my heart goes out to all those mums that literally haven't seen a soul. Um, particularly if yeah. you have a baby yeah. suffering with reflux or that, you know, was premature or, you know, what you might be suffering with your mental health, whatever it is, it's such a intense time anyway. <laughs> You know, with a global pandemic on top of it, I just, yeah, my my heart goes out to all those mums that have experienced that. Um, Alison, let's talk a little bit about reflux. So, for any mums out there okay. who may not know what reflux is, could you please explain it to us? And what are some of the signs that we should be looking out for uh, with our babies when it comes to reflux?
1: Yes, for sure. Okay. So reflux is the backward flow of the stomach contents. And let's be honest, the majority of babies that are born will have a little bit of reflux because they've got a a small tummy, the muscle at the top of the stomach that attaches the food pipe, the esophagus, is often not strong enough to hold the valve shut and all they're drinking is liquid and milk goes up and down. It sloshes up and down very easily. So most babies will experience some degree of reflux. That is normal. What we talk about, uh, in the sense of acid reflux and gastroesophageal reflux disease, I, I don't like the word disease. I don't use it. I just still call it reflux. Um, it's when, What's happening in the gut with the feeding experience and the milk coming back up and down and going back down starts to cause a problem with the baby's feeding experience and also then means the baby can't sleep comfortably and there's lots of screaming and crying and the baby's in pain. Now, if that's happening, then we have to, in my opinion, manage the reflux I hate the fact that it's just dismissed as that's what babies do. It's a bit of colic. It's not colic. Colic doesn't exist. Horses get colic and it's really serious. They potentially, it's life threatening. And in babies, it's just dismissed as colic. And if you look it up in the English dictionary, it's a non-descriptive term for abdominal pain. So we admit and agree that the baby's in pain, but we don't do anything about it. I don't understand that, and I never have, and I never will.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I'd only ever heard the term colic. I mean, I'm I'm a horsey girl, so I'd you know <laughs> i come across that a lot before. And when I had my baby, she for the first few days when we got home was, you know, crying, and she didn't seem comfortable. And you know, a few people I know were like, "Oh, I'm sure it's just a bit of colic," and I'm and I was thinking, yeah, but I, I need to do something about this because she's she's not comfortable and it's it's almost as if you expect that your baby will have a bit of colic so don't worry it's totally normal um and especially in the early days you know they'll cry a little bit but you know it's just a bit of colic and it is kind of yeah it's just it's just expected almost
1: it is and it's that dismissive attitude Mm. of a baby's health and the shocking stories that, that I hear on a daily basis and the desperate parents that I speak to, it's, I, I, I just don't understand it and, and I never will. And, and still so, there seems to be no one else out there that, that gives them the information and the help and the support that they need to manage through or you know, work through a, a baby that's got reflux.
0: And so what are the signs for reflux? So it, it, there are
1: many and no baby I really would I expect to just to, to uh, display all the signs and symptoms. In fact, there's four pages of signs and symptoms mm-hmm. in my first book, The Sensational Baby Sleep Plan. But in the last chapter, because it's all about reflux and dietary related intolerances, um, it's, it's about what their poo looks like. Are they, are they pooing? And you see, there again, everything in the world of babies is de- is decreed normal in the sense that they might not poo for 10 days or can poo 10 times a day. Well, to me, actually, neither of those are pretty normal. And again, so it's just dismissed. Um, signs and symptoms, other signs and symptoms are they're often very strong babies. They are often trying to stand up. They're often difficult to hold. They don't want to burp. Um, they're difficult to feed. They can wriggle a lot, they can squirm, cry, uh, just, just never seem happy. Some of them can seem happy, but then you try to put them down to sleep and they're not having any of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it it's, it's so vast and varied because every baby will respond differently. And that's the difficulty for the other health professionals that haven't got the experience that I've had of of literally thousands, working with thousands of babies literally hands on and seeing them and holding them and understanding, well, that that baby's sweating through its hands and its feet and that, that's why the hands and feet are wet. I've, I've had some people say to me, I, don't, I just don't understand. I wash my baby, I bath her every night and by the morning when I get up, her hair's plastered to her head because she's. it seems oily. It's not oily, it's sweat. Mm -hmm. because babies will sweat in response to pain and they'll get wet hands and feet you know so there are so many subtle symptoms that um and that's why there are so many that I wrote in the book that can mean that a baby's in discomfort but they don't all they don't necessarily always scream and of course they might be vomiting they might not
0: yeah. And you're right. They do, those things just get dismissed as, oh, they're normal or, oh, don't worry about it. You know, she'll be fine. He'll yep. be fine. And and what is the, the sort of cure to reflux or what can you actually do to help if you're mm. going to your doctor and they're sort of dismissing it and not really, not really helping you and diagnosing it properly? Because I think a lot do i mean my doctor did not i i had a feeling she might have some reflux in the in the early days and he just said it might be a little bit of colic and um yeah wasn't a huge help so what can you actually do
1: yeah so there are a number of main pieces to the jigsaw of we can't cure reflux we can only try to help manage it and that's looking at certain areas of baby's life in the sense of are they on the right feeding schedule are they just sort of snack drip feeding all day long because typically a baby with reflux will only want to eat little and often because mm-hmm. they learn that they start to drink milk, it goes down, it comes back up, it hurts, so they stop. But then they're, obviously, they're not taking a full feed, so they're hungry. So then And then they also learn to, to suck and swallow to wash away the pain of acid that comes up into their esophagus. So it's looking at the whole feeding experience. It's, it's looking at the delivery of the milk. You know, is the delivery of the milk causing them problems? Are they, huh, huh gulping mm. and you know and i and sometimes you can hear it going down in their stomach and hit then hear it bouncing back up and so are they taking down too much wind have they got a lip tie or a tongue tie is that something that you know we need to look at um the oral health is very important uh is the are the ingredients of the milk so does mum if she's breastfeeding need to go dairy free or soya free or gluten free or sometimes all three uh, that, that can sometimes make a difference. Another j- piece of the jigsaw is we know that the thicker the liquid that goes into the gut that, that, that rejects it, the thicker the liquid, the better it stays down. So thickening mm-hmm. milk can, can be an answer. And then, of course, there are uh, sleep is a huge uh, contributory factor to, to managing reflux. But, of course, that's really tricky because if you've got yeah. a baby that's in discomfort, trying to get them to sleep is challenging. so you're in the downward spiral and then of course there are you know the the medicines uh which there are some natural things you can do you know cranial osteopathy can help a little bit Uh, it won't resolve it no no, nothing will resolve it that's the thing um but um you know some natural little remedies like some people find that gripe water helps some people the colic calm can help Then there obviously are prescription medicines, and a lot of babies end up on um, proton pump inhibitors like a metrazole.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that I hear um, that mums like to use, uh, some have great results with, some they find does nothing. Um, Things like pediacol, infocol. what are the other ones? Gripe water. Um, there are these things that um, you can get over the counter here, which, yeah, some people seem to have, um, you know, great results with, and other people it just doesn't work. So um, I think it can be a real minefield in yeah. those early days as to what do you do. It, um, it truly is, and I,
1: yeah, I I always say it's cracking the reflux code for the individual baby.
0: Yeah. Because they're all different, so what works for one yep. may not work for the other. Yeah, um, and you that and, you and can that's say why, that that's board, why some of the
1: you? Some, yeah you can absolutely and that's why some of the forums that I I see I I don't go onto them because I find it so worrying and because what works for one work doesn't just simply doesn't work for another, but. And I know mums are only trying to help each other, but they say, Oh, you know, do this, my baby did this work for my baby, but you can't equally, you you can't keep trying loads of different things in a short space of time because that will actually probably make things worse. You've got to really understand what the root cause and, and, and is it the ingredients of the milk? Is it the delivery of the milk? Is that, you know, is it sleep? Is it it, other things? That's what really you, you need to pick it apart and, and try to work out what is really causing what before you try to rectify it.
0: Yeah, you can't just copy paste, unfortunately. Babies babies (laughs) do not work like that. Um, Alison, your book, The Sensational Baby Sleep Plan, Continues to be a huge success and such a staple for so many new moms around the world, particularly in this part of the world. Um, are you able to share a little bit of insight about your new book? You you mentioned earlier that this is going to be the toddler sleeping plan. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think there's always so much focus on babies newborns um and when you have a newborn toddler just seems so far away but it's not (laughs) so could you share a little bit of information about that with us
1: (laughs) well the the second book that that i'm writing i mean the first one does sort of cross over a little bit sort of in areas of sleep training up to 24 months but the, the new one that i'm writing does touch back into babyhood a little bit but it's sort of that cross, very much that crossover period and, and, and move, moving forward. Um, and again, it, as in the first one, when I talk about the, the first part of the, 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 the baby book is about the newborn sleep plan. And if you haven't started it, then don't worry, it's never too late. And so it, that ethos carries on. As far as i 'm concerned because it 's never too late in the first few years of life to change things for, mm-hmm. for, for little ones so there 's no pressure or judgment if you didn 't have the first book and didn 't follow that you can still pick up a lot of the ethos out of the second one and and start to implement things to bring change positive change if, if you 're struggling uh, and i mean obviously and then of course, even people that have followed the first book struggle with oh there I've got another baby coming along and how does that work and yeah. then I can't manage the routine with the first one and things like that. so I'm trying to cover all that in the second one too
0: yeah I think that's a really good point because I have quite a few friends who have just had babies or are pregnant and because you know every baby's different you can't always do the same things and also then you've got more of a juggle because now you've got two children so I think um yeah it's like you said it's it's never too late to try and implement some routine and positive habits but i guess maybe it's a little it takes a little bit longer when they're older if you haven't been following your plan it might take the your child when they're a, toddler, yes. a little bit longer to pick up because you're trying to change behavior aren't you which is it is hard so I guess it might take yeah. a little bit longer if you haven't been following the plan originally but it's great to hear that it's not too late and to not lose all hope um because I think a lot of a lot of moms are yeah. at a point where they're so exhausted that they just go Do you know what just get into bed with me or I'll just sleep on the floor next to you or because you're just yeah. at your wits end yeah. um you know so I think that's yeah. really great totally. to that it's it's never too late um, and when when will this book be available, Alison? I know you're in the process of writing it now.
1: <laughs> well, all being well, no, it will. It'll be published in July.
0: Oh, okay, amazing. My daughter's birthday is in July, so my husband can buy it for me as a, well, as a birthday present for her. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll be she'll be a year yeah, old then you'll be so. getting one of the
1: first coffees
0: oh thank you um Alison, before... perfect perfect timing thank you so much um before we go into a quick fire round you very kindly agreed to answer yep. answer some questions from our listeners and i yes, have so many i had so many but I've i've picked a few so oh. let's start with erin so erin is asking any advice on daytime naps that don't involve baby falling asleep on me her baby won't sleep in the car, pushchair or cot during the day?
1: Well, of course, I Erin, mean, she doesn't say what happens at night. <coughs> Excuse me. And is baby sleeping in the cot at night? Um, one would assume so by mm. the question. I think so, that it yeah. It's day- the daytime. Yeah, the only issue. daytime naps. Well it's it's very interesting so that there are two trains of thought that i have on this one that if if, nap, if naps are really challenging then i often say you have to have the night in place first so if the baby is sleeping 12 hours a night and everything's absolutely fine at night then naturally you would expect that daytime naps w- would follow quite easily because i it's nearly always about getting the nighttime in place before the naps so i don't know what what the little ones doing at, at night um and i don't know how old the baby is but if you're really struggling with nap time i would i would be looking at digestive issues hunger possible hunger issues as i say i don't know how old the baby is so possible hunger issues possible you know if baby's breastfeeding are they feeding effectively are they getting what they want are they on the right schedule i'd be looking at the routines that that i set out in the book um because truly if babies can't link um sleep cycles together or even you can't even put them down then mm. I'd be definitely looking at reflux I'd be definitely looking at reflux issues without okay. a doubt
0: yeah I think that's what this lady was sort of implying she literally cannot put the baby down the baby only wants to fall asleep on her um yeah and I'm yeah, not on her, her baby. Well, I interestingly, think that's under six months though
1: yeah on 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 the on that point If the baby sleeps on her, I suspect that the baby will be sleeping on its front on, uh, you know, on her chest. Yeah, because that's typically how most babies end up sleeping, because we all know that the guidelines are to put babies down. They have to sleep on their back. And if they've got reflux, they just don't find that very comfortable a lot of the time. So it could it could well be something to do with that
0: okay that's interesting so it's just that the baby's actually more comfortable that's why they can fall asleep on your chest yeah um okay you mentioned sleep cycle yeah yeah, and and we're all told baby must be on their back so yeah that makes sense um okay alice is asking any tips for getting baby to go through sleep cycles on their own my baby has connected with me for every sleep cycle. So I'm part of him and he won't connect the sleep cycle without me. Therefore hourly wake ups all throughout the night.
1: Okay. Um, I understand what Alice is saying, but she's actually overthinking in my opinion that the baby has learned, the baby, the baby's learned to, to connect sleep cycles by her intervention. That's likely because the baby wasn't comfortable enough in the first place to do it on its own. It's possible that she has been, I don't know, attachment parenting or co-sleeping and so the baby's just, that's all the baby has learned, that mum's always there, and there might not be any other underlying reflux digestive issues, if that's the case, then you know you should be able to change things by following the reassurance sleep training technique that's in, in my first book, uh, the middle section of that, which is you give them reassurances but remove the crutches that they've come used to. But I would be very careful that it's again not caused through an underlying reflux or digestive issue.
0: Okay. Claire is asking how to get a big six-month-old out of a swaddle. He just will not sleep at all. She's tried the one arm out, but he will keep waking himself up for hours.
1: Mm. Um, I must sound like a stark record because all the answers come down to you need to check the baby's digestive health. Uh, and especially you say he's a big baby. Mm. A lot of people think that only small premature babies that don't feed very well have reflux. That's so not true. Huge babies, big babies will often have really, really bad reflux. Yeah. And actually I was testament to that. I was 13 pounds when I was born apparently. And I held the record in Hillingdon hospital for years and years. I don't know if I still hold it maybe, (laughs) but anyway. um, And when when i wrote my book and and mum my mother helped me with um with all the grammar and and everything uh she was amazed when i wrote the reflux chapter because she was just suddenly realized that i'd screamed and screamed and screamed and the only thing that would ever shut me up was giving me a bottle of milk so um (laughs) And I still have those issues today. I still look for food rather than turn away from it mm. um, <clears throat> so big big babies, yeah, big babies can can have really bad reflux, really bad reflux, um, and it may well be that and you know I certainly wouldn 't be swaddling and trying or tr- even trying to swaddle a six month old baby again, that comes into play with you don 't need to swaddle them if they sleep on their front because they they 've obviously got then a mattress and a A security in front of them that they're lying on and their hands are touching and, and, and they feel more secure. Of course, I know that's against the guidelines and nobody should ever do it without researching it and certainly putting an under mattress sensor in place if you're going to do anything other than the guidelines. I mean, just touching on that. Very interestingly, most people do just do sleep their babies against the guidelines, in sleepy heads and, and cocooner babies and things, and they're, that's all against the guidelines too. Yeah, so, I did
0: that. Yeah. I I was guilty of that, and I I, I read both cases, yeah. but I went with my gut and what I felt was safe. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of people do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, the message is on their backs, on their backs. And I know, I know. I, know. Um, I think it gets a bit confusing. Like for me now, I'm at the four month, almost five month mark and she's starting to roll and she's not swaddled. And I'm like, well, yeah. eventually she's going to be just naturally, you know, going on her side or her tummy. But obviously then it's safer because she can turn herself back over. But there's yeah. going to be that in-between phase where she can't. But she might find herself in that position. So again, it's just a mind feel because you're like, you know, what's safe? And yeah, it's it can be really confusing. Um, okay, Belinda is asking how to transition from using a bassinet to using a big cot. She's having lots of tears and baby never seems to settle. Is it just a matter of persevering and waiting until she gets used to it?
1: Well, this is an interesting one to me because really if if all is well with baby and baby settled happy and there aren't any underlying digestive and reflux issues then transitioning from one place to another even traveling with them it really shouldn't be that difficult babies are pretty adaptable so i'm sorry again i would start to look at why um possibly is is the mattress harder or firmer or not as comfy or something like that in 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 the bigger cot have you got the the cot sort of coming out into the middle of the room whereas the bassinet was much more cozy and of course there's another thing we're not supposed to put cot bumpers in place um so yeah because that's that's against the guidelines but i know a lot of babies feel much more secure when they can't sort of see out and they're just in their, their own living mm. environment within within an enclosed cot. So maybe it's to do with the bassinet as opposed to the bars of a cot. Um, can you try putting the cot in a in a corner so at least two sides of the cot, one end and one side are, are enclosed and you know perhaps you know put up a a screen if you don't want to use cot bumpers, you know, something like that. So that that, that may be an issue there
0: yeah that's a really good point what's the environment because yeah you know if you're going from this sort of cozy um cocooned environment to then a big space a big wide open space then yeah maybe it's just yeah. that. you know if you think it, it, it may well that. be yeah. um Okay, Rebecca is asking, my baby is premature and, and, again, hates being in her cot. How can I fix this? She also grunts and squeaks very loudly when I try to get her to sleep in the cot. Is this normal? Uh,
1: no, it's not. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not normal. Um, it's probably more, it's not so much that she hates the cot. It's probably what we were just talking about, mm. and it's the back sleeping uh, the grunts, the squeaks, the the, the snorting. The I often s- say that babies with reflux sound like the sort of Darth Vader, and they're a bit like
0: <sighs> yeah.
1: And their and their legs and arms are going and everything. I I actually really would just say this isn't Rebecca. It's not about sleep training in any way, shape or form. This is about looking at what's going on with your little baby. Um, and certainly being premature she may have had to have antibiotics it may be a cow's milk protein intolerance going on and she's not coping with the milk that she's drinking that's causing a reflux issue but it's definitely something underlying going on there
0: okay I think um I I know Rebecca so I think um she'll be yeah she'll be really grateful for that advice because um okay it must just be so scary when your baby's premature anyway And then you get home and it sort of starts, you know, all the millions of questions. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. Finally, Nicola, who needs to buy your new book when it's out next year, she's asking sleep progression as they hit three. (laughs) Is this normal?
1: (laughs) Well, we touched on sleep regressions earlier and I don't believe any of them are normal or things there what you have to do is try to take a step back and look at what might have been going on um not immediately that this this disturbance started it could have been something that happened two three or even a month prior uh not usually that long but it's usually it can easily be two or three weeks uh prior to the sleep disturbances it might have been, did, did the child change room in nursery? Did they change school? Did they do, did they, did something happen?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that That is usually, there is something underlying that will have prompted this sleep disturbance. So it's about working out what it was, what the underlying issue is, and then addressing it. And I don't know, maybe at three, is a is is child sitting in a cot, simply needs to go into a bed. That's another issue. Uh, that's a a big problem big big one um so yeah they're 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 the first things first things I would look at uh Nicola there
0: interesting so it's not just about the sleep itself it's what's going on in your child's life you know absolutely all the time that's you know things that are happening in our life affect our sleep so why is it any different for your child um Alison, if you don't mind I'm going to take this opportunity to ask you a question as well so my my little girl is currently having four naps. Um, and I am curious as to when you drop one of those naps, when do you know it's the right time to drop a nap? Um, she has quite a late bedtime as in, you know, friends of mine think it's quite late. You know, she goes down at around nine o'clock and she wakes up at nine o'clock, sometimes 10, 10 to 10, nine to nine. Um, so, a lot of people say to me well she she should really be getting up at seven and I keep hearing this number seven um so I'm just curious as to when when do you know it's the right time to drop a nap because so far it's working quite well and she goes down for those naps really well so in my eyes you know she needs those naps
1: well that's an interesting one there are are a number of uh issues there that that we can discuss not issues necessarily but you know you're doing a nine to nine schedule. in in some ways it's no different to a seven to seven and often when I, when people travel and they're only going to go through a two hour time difference they're doing a seven to seven i say well don't bother to change things keep things on the seven to seven because you're going to be two out hour, two hours yeah. different it doesn't you know just keep keep on uk time as it were um
0: if it's working and your little one how old is she she will be five months on the 17th of december okay
1: so if she's happy and sleeping through those 12 hours then i don't particularly see that there's an issue probably i would have thought that by that age they would be down to three three naps but there's an element of you don't need to fix what isn't broken Mm. So although there's a general sort of set pattern that I would expect a baby to follow, if they don't follow it, but all seems well, then I wouldn't worry. So that that's where it's, it was always very difficult to, to even try to write the first book because there are so many variables for individuals. Yeah. So as I say, if it doesn't seem to be
0: broken, then you don't need to fix it. But at some point, you should drop a nap shouldn't you well it'll naturally just happen
1: yeah i i I suspect it'll naturally happen there are no shoulds in any in any of it um i mean if you said to me uh she was going to bed at nine o'clock at night and getting up at five in the morning then i would definitely say we need to change things but if she's doing her 12 hours she's getting the rest that she needs okay her naps are a little bit disjointed um but I'm not particularly worried you know if if she's happy and she's fine then I would but yeah I suspect that one of those sort of or two of those naps will will somewhat merge soon and become one so you end up with three naps yeah
0: okay Okay, good. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, Okay, (laughs) we're going we're going to do a quick fire round now. So, Alison, what's your one piece of advice for first time mummies?
1: Just remember, babies are designed to sleep. Sleep deprivation is an internationally recognised form of torture. And yes, you'll have some sleepless nights for the first eight, maximum 12 weeks. But after that, all should be set and they should be sleeping through the night.
0: Yeah, it's not a case of you're not going to sleep for years, which is um, no. a narrative that we are all we all sort of yeah. have bought into. Um, what are your top three essential items for first-time mums? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, other, yeah, interesting. There are so many I could say. And under mattress sensor, I do believe no matter what you choose to do with sleep position or a sleepy head or anything, every baby should sleep on one. Uh, and have one in place, um, I guess yeah, a breast pump if you 're going to be you know try and breastfeeding because a pump can help, and it really does help to uh improve your supply and get the baby used to a bottle if you 're not going to exclusively breastfeed forever um, muslins, lots of muslin cloths they 're so useful and they they 're useful for years. Sorry, and a fourth one, a bottle of wine for you when you 're not breastfeeding. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and your book
1: oh well, of course. There we go fine my book. yeah I don't book.
0: what's the what's the one item you thought you would use, but you actually didn't end up using a lot
1: um I mean, it's a long time ago since I was a first time mum, uh but I would definitely say loads of unnecessary outfits. And I've often thought over the years, the money that people spend on unnecessary outfits and pretty this and pretty that and lovely this and that, you just save that money and buy an under-mattress sensor instead.
0: Yeah, they never get worn. We've been gifted some lovely no, outfits don't. and she's just grown out of them because she's just in baby grows the yeah. whole time. Um, what's one this, thing nobody... No, I've, I've,
1: I've seen... I, sorry, I've seen some baby wardrobes that honestly a full of
0: designer (laughs) oh i bet you have yeah
1: little yeah lovely little dior dresses and
0: things yeah and shoes people seem to and it's like they're not gonna wear shoes until they're about two no they really shouldn't why shoes (laughs) Um, anyway sorry no 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 not at all um what's one thing nobody warned you about before becoming a mum (laughs)
1: the guilt that it brings you and I don't think that's changed from talking with my mum when she really understood the work that I was doing through helping me write the first book the guilt that she felt knowing that I screamed and I was in pain and she didn't know what to do and it's not just about reflux guilt but it, it's just everything you, you're guilty when you bring another baby into the world you're guilty if you go away for a weekend you're, you're the guilt that we pile on ourselves especially as mothers is endless is endless and nobody ever prepares you for mm. that
0: it's so true um what's your favorite thing about being a mum <laughs> having
1: grandchildren because i can give them back
0: <laughs> that's what my mum yeah. says <laughs> Yeah,
1: I know. And it's it was a bit like a busman's holiday for me. Like, my children have just grown up. I'm really? You're bringing grandchildren? Well, I'm, yes, okay. Great. Thank you very much. But
0: you're having them back. <laughs> uh, but they are so lucky to have you, <laughs> the sleep expert, the magic sleep, yeah. the magic sleep fairy. I mean, my goodness. Um, <laughs> what does motherhood mean to you in three words, Alison?
1: Gosh, I really struggled with this um i really struggle with this okay unconditional love that's two words i know um achievement and self development because we learn so much none of us are ever perfect parents none of us there is no such thing and i have worked with thousands of parents out there and i've never found one set of parents that i sort of walked away from and thought oh wow they've really got it i need to bottle that and sell it Mm. so so oh yeah so there are so many words in 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 that more than three but just acceptance just just be the best that you can be just in and enjoy enjoy it try to enjoy as much as you can without piling on the guilt
0: yeah because it goes so quickly
1: it really does it really 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 does
0: Oh, Alison, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time and knowledge and advice. I so, so appreciate it. And I will put all your social media links and the links to buy your book in the show notes. So for those listeners that haven't got a copy yet, they can go and find it um, in the show notes below. So thank you so, so much.
1: Awesome. It's been wonderful. I, I never tire of talking about my passion because that's what it is and I just hope that this when it goes out helps loads of other mums out there not to feel guilty and enjoy their babies and work out if there is something going on underneath and you know I applaud you for, for, for doing this and putting it out there so thank you very much.
0: Oh, thank you so much Alison, thank you. A huge thank you once again to Alison for her time and expertise you can find links to Alison's social pages website and where to find her book in the show notes below you can also find links below to our social media accounts including the Friday's Child Facebook community this is a group I have created in the hope to share positive birth stories along with parenting life hacks tips and tricks general advice and much more just a quick note to say Friday's Child will be taking a small break over the festive holiday but I'll be back in the new year with lots of new episodes and more fabulous guests and finally I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate review and subscribe to Friday's Child the podcast to help us reach more wonderful mummies. until next time thank you for listening and Merry Christmas